Well, before we uh, take the Lord's Supper together, beloved, I invite you to open your Bible to the 12th Psalm. Um, we are deviating a little bit from our normal course of events. We're either in Luke usually or, or during the Lord's Supper Sundays. We've been going through the Upper Room Discourse in John. But I really just I, I feel compelled... Uh, by recent events more so than by the calendar to talk about some things that are happening in our our nation and our in the nation God has placed us in the nation where we have said thank you God for today um, we do need to bring scripture to bear both on things that are going on and how we are to respond to things going on as the body of Christ. So we're going to look at Psalm 12. In fact, it's going to focus on one verse. But before we do that, let's once again come to the Lord in prayer. Father, on this Independence Weekend, we do come to you and we do give you great thanks because we are free. And as a nation, we celebrate the freedom you have in your grace and mercy ordained to bestow upon us for over two centuries. And more importantly, as we've just sung, the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, we celebrate the freedom you've given us from the penalty and the power of sin through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you. And your word does tell us, seek the welfare of the city in which you live. You wrote that, you had that written, you had that spoken to exiles in Babylon. And we are called exiles in your word. So that to that end, Father, we desire what is best for America, and that's you and your will being carried out. So Lord, while we do praise you and thank you for our country, let us not confuse faith with patriotism. Let us not confuse following you with the civic religion that permeates church culture sometimes. But by your grace, may our attention be focused upon your Son. So that when and if the time comes, we have to choose which freedom we cherish more. We will choose you. By your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 240 years ago in Philadelphia, a few dozen men got together and affixed their signatures to a document that would put a price on their heads, a document declaring the independence of their 13 states from the kingdom of Great Britain, and the foremost of their reasons read as follows, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In their minds, and, and they were right, the kingdom of Great Britain under whose dominion they had been living was usurping those God-given rights. Thus, when in the course of human events it became necessary for them to dissolve the political bands with which they were connected, they did. And so we have been and now are the United States of America. And tomorrow we celebrate 240 years since that document was ratified and publicly proclaimed.
And while we should not live under the commonly mistaken notion that all or even many of our founders were truly Christians, it is an irrefutable fact of American history that those founders established this nation under the rule of law grounded in the ethics of the Christian faith. Our second president, John Adams, in a 1798 message to the officers of the Massachusetts militia, said, We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. And the religion he was speaking of was the Christian religion. Avarice, he said, that is greed, ambition, revenge, or gallantry would break through the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. And for over two centuries, America has put that statement to the test. It has survived the sinful stain of slavery and civil war. It has withstood the uprising of evolutionary thought, not just in matters of our origin, but in the gradual transition from limited government to the expansive government we now live in with huge bureaucracy and ever-increasing entitlement. It has survived in times of war, it has survived in times of peace, and has more than once served as God's restraining agent against evil, God's restraining grace on the sinful inclinations and decisions of men. But there is no constitution and there is no set of governmental principles that can truly restrain a human heart that is bent on sin. It started in the Garden of Eden when man decided God's word was no longer sufficient. They wanted what they wanted. They took it regardless of what God said. And the fall was great and the fall was fast such that God sent a flood to literally flush the world. And he started over, but he started over with eight who were also sinners as if to show us that the solution to the problem is not with man, but it is with God. And throughout human history... Sin has been in the world and death through sin. And not every era has been as good or as bad as it could have been. Not every person is as evil as he or she could possibly be. But from time to time, God does withdraw His restraining grace and He leaves us to our own devices. He did it with the Roman Empire. He did it with the British Empire. And He may be doing that with the American experiment, as it is sometimes called. And the results are always disastrous when that happens. And quite frankly, beloved, I do believe that is what we are seeing in this nation. That is what we are seeing in our country for the last couple of generations, the last half century and more. What we've been seeing, what we see now, and what we continue to see the fruits of are exemplified best not by newspaper columnists and definitely not by cable news talking heads and not by politicians, but it is exemplified best by the Word of God. What we see is exemplified by David in Psalm 12, 8. And if you look at the last verse of this psalm, it simply says, The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. 
The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. This is what is happening. And this is what has happened just in the past week. I didn't plan to do this. I didn't plan on doing an Independence Day America message today. I planned on doing Luke 15. But on Mon- this is what happened in the past week. On Monday, the Supreme Court of the United States struck down a law duly passed by the legislature and uh, signed into effect by the governor of Texas, which required abortion clinics to be held to the same health standards as other medical facilities. All they were saying was, you got to have the same health standards as everyone else. And abortion clinics cried foul when Texas passed the law. And why is that? Well, they'll say because it limited access to abortion. Well, God bless it if it did. But they were more interested in making money off the blood of dead babies than paying to clean up their buildings. That's the truth. And if that sounds harsh, it's nothing compared to what happens in those operating rooms. And the Supreme Court's decision has led those who support abortion to strut in their wickedness as a result. One major presidential candidate immediately praised the Supreme Court's ruling. The other major party candidate has yet to speak on the matter for what it's worth. The next day, the Supreme Court struck again, ruling against pharmacists in the state of Washington who refused to carry abortifacient drugs. Those are Methods of birth control which don't prevent a pregnancy from happening, they actually terminate a fertilized egg. There were Christian pharmacists who had decided we don't want to carry these particular drugs. You can get them all these other places. We don't want to carry these. But the Supreme Court said, no. You can't make that decision on religious grounds. Never mind the wide availability of those things. This targeted brothers and sisters in Christ. This targeted us. On Thursday, a U.S. district judge struck down a law in Mississippi, which is the Deep South, which would have freed the state's citizens to not have to perform services that would violate sincere religious belief. In a column masquerading as a news story in the Washington Post, which is one of the nation's two most influential newspapers, there was a quote that was just dripping with contempt. I want to read it to you. And it was contempt for Mississippi, but it was really contempt for Christians. It said, Federal courts have now delivered three rulings on gay rights that together compose a devastating civil rights era style rebuke against Mississippi a former Confederate state with an oppressive history that has adamantly refused to fall into line behind same-sex marriage, gay adoption, and other legal protections for non-heterosexuals. Beloved, do you hear that quote? You must fall into line behind so-called same-sex marriage, behind gay adoption, and whatever else. You must fall into line. You must bow the knee to Baal, beloved. You must celebrate evil or else. And there's more, by the way. The California legislature has before this past week an ominous, dangerous bill that would severely 
limit and punish religious schools that don't make accommodations for homosexuals and transgender people and all that stuff. And I cannot stress enough, beloved, the ramifications of such a bill. It is going to put an incredible financial burden on schools that do not bow to the state. And most of them will inevitably inevitably close. And we should not make any mistake about this. This is the future. This is the first, and maybe it's not even the first, but it's the highest profile of many such attempts to strike a blow against religious education. Yesterday, or maybe not yesterday, I guess it was Friday, news broke about an online dating service, and I'm not going to make a, I mean, I got, you know, an online dating service, whatever, but there was an online dating service, and it has several different websites. We see commercials for them. They cater to different groups, and one of those groups is Christians, and it wasn't good enough that you could go to any number of other websites, any number of other places to find what you are ostensibly looking for. The Christian site was sued for not having a section for homosexuals. They were forced to pay the people suing them and their attorney fees. And did you hear, lest you think this is just an American thing, Russia this week, there's news out of Russia, they want to go back to Soviet-era religious discrimination barring Christians from doing any evangelism outside of the church building. And then, of course, there is the continuing controversy right here in our North Carolina over House Bill 2, which is a response to the Charlotte Bill on the bathroom bill. And there has been incredible political pressure put on our state legislature to capitulate. And... You know how this is going to end, right? Charlotte will most likely lose the NBA All-Star game that it's supposed to have next year. That is a small consequence compared to other things. But you know they've been working on compromises this week, but there will be no real compromises. You will capitulate or else, and eventually our state legislature will be asked to bow the knee to bail as businesses are pressured by activists to take their business elsewhere, to avoid the state. That's already happening, and it will continue to happen. And why? Because the wicked strut about on every side when vileness, when sexual liberty, when the gratification of lust, when the confusion over what God has created is good, when all of that is exalted among the sons of men. And I know that the majority of the things that I just talked about have to do with homosexuals and transgenders and things like that, but you can fill in the blank on any type of sin. Rather it be uh, violence or gambling or, or whatever, you fill in the blank and vileness is celebrated among the sons of men. Think about what is being fought against in the stories I've mentioned. Life and liberty. You know, the pursuit of happiness is more subjective, and I think the founders of our country would, would agree with me on that. One's happiness is usually defined by what makes one happy. And if you want to get biblical, which we should, we as Christians aren't necessarily too aren't necessarily to be pursuing happiness. We're to be pursuing joy with the Lord. We've talked about that recently. 
But life and liberty are very objective things. They are concrete. And for at least 43 years, and you could really go back a lot farther, our nation has waged a federal government-sanctioned war on life. Since nine appointed but unelected men in black robes said, you can kill a child. And liberty has been... Never before in our nation's history has liberty been more threatened. The things I've recounted from just the past seven days are a microcosm of what is going on. The trajectory we are heading down. And and this has been happening for some time, beloved, but the past week is evidence of of this, this illustration that's been in my head. When you're watching a DVD, you can push fast forward and fast forward a little bit, but you can push fast forward again and it will begin to fast forward at a, a, a faster rate. And it is as if that button has been pushed a couple times more because things are happening so much faster in our country today. And why do I bring this up? Do I bring this up? To put a damper on Independence Day? I do not. I love my country. I am thankful for the freedoms our founders set in writing. And for the men and women who have served and worked and bled and died to defend the freedom I have to worship here today. I believe our Declaration of Independence is a masterful statement. And our Constitution, while not perfect, is genius. And otherwise, it's, there's no way it could have endured as long as it has. But ultimately, as the people of God, you and I cannot and do not live and die by the state of our union. While independence may have been declared in the fight for life, Christians know we are not promised one more day. We're not even promised to finish this day. And as for liberty, well, as one pastor put it in a recent sermon, we were never promised religious liberty, we were only promised persecution. So while the wicked strut about on every side when violence is exalted among the sons of men, how shall you and I, how shall we then live? Well, verse 8 is the last verse of the psalm. The first words of the psalm, verse 1, are help, Lord. We must seek the Lord's help. And we can only seek the Lord's help if we are also ready to unconditionally surrender to Him. And that's precisely what America is not doing. And tragically, that includes many who profess the name of Christ. The Barna Research Group may be the most respected polling group in all of the country when it comes to matters of religion. Listen to this. I read this and it didn't surprise me, but the numbers speak for themselves. In 2011, five short years ago, all of my children have been born since then. Do you agree or disagree with the following statement? The Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles it teaches. 48% agreed strongly, 22% agreed somewhat. So that's 70% that agreed at least somewhat. 14 disagreed somewhat, 12% disagreed strongly. Five years later, today, 2016, the numbers are much worse. 
33% agree strongly that the Bible is totally accurate in what it teaches. 25% agree somewhat. And the number of those disagreeing with that statement has practically doubled. And for what it's worth, I believe those numbers are very generous. As your pastor, I think if you, if you ask me, I think it's actually a lot worse than that. People don't want to come out and say they disagree with the Bible. People don't want to come out and say they don't believe what it says to be true. Their opinions reflect it because they aren't grounded in biblical truth. Oftentimes we mistake our personal preferences for things we've heard or we mistake our personal preferences for divine revelations. What we've really done is we've supplanted God's word with what we think. What we want. And that's no way for the people of God to live. And it's surely no way the people of God will endure. We instead must be committed to the biblical principles of everlasting life and liberty from sin and death. Those are monumentally more important than what was written on a piece of paper 240 years ago. They will far outlast the Declaration and the Constitution. And it has to start small. It has to start with with me, and it has to start with you. It has to start with each person committing himself, committing herself to the Lord. It has to start with you confessing with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. It has to start with you coming to Him in in desperation, repenting of your sins and entrusting yourself to Jesus Christ. It has to start with you not just saying, I believe the Bible, I believe the Bible is the Word of God, but instead saying, this is the Word of God. I must study it and I must submit to it. I must live according to what it teaches. Because man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Beloved, I read this quote from Albert Moeller, the, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary this week, and he's right. Our spiritual maturity will never exceed our knowledge of the Bible. Your spiritual maturity will never exceed your knowledge of the Bible. If you want to grow in Christ, study your Bible. Beloved, we have to start with surrendering our wills to His our plans to His, our agendas to His, our preferences to His character, His holiness. And if you are Jesus' disciple, you have to proclaim His Word. You have to proclaim His Gospel. Our mission, beloved, is not God bless America. Our mission is to be disciples who make disciples for the glory of Jesus Christ. Our our mission, as Jesus Himself gave it in Matthew 28, is to make disciples of all nations, all peoples, and through that, God is blessing. Through that, God has blessed and will bless America. One person at a time. The wicked may indeed strut on every side, and vileness may be exalted among the sons of men. As Isaiah 5, 20 and 21 say, Woe to those 
who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to them. But for the people of God, for those who put their trust in the Lord, who, who put, place their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter who or how many are strutting around them, may it be said of us that we follow Christ. Beloved, this morning we are taking the Lord's Supper. It is something we do as a church. We come together as the people of God. The Lord's Supper is for those who have made a public profession of faith. Jesus is my Lord. I surrender to Him. It is for those who have been made alive by His Spirit and they have been driven to repent of their sins, to repent of their self-sufficiency, of their self-righteousness, of their own wills, and to say, You are Lord and I surrender to You. It's for those who, in obedience to that faith, have been baptized by immersion, which is the New Testament precedent for being a Christian, for, for, for what a Christian does. You're not saved by baptism, but it is something a Christian does. And having been baptized by immersion, you must be a member in good standing of a New Testament church. You can't be under discipline from a church. You can't be uh, someone who isn't part of the body of Christ in a real way. And if you meet the qualifications in, in just a couple minutes, you are welcome to take the Lord's Supper with us. If not, though... What are you waiting for? The wicked may strut, beloved, but Jesus is our King. And no matter who is in the Oval Office, no matter who controls the House and the Senate, no matter what the, the, the balance is on the Supreme Court, no matter who the governor or the attorney general is, no matter any of that, Jesus will still be King tomorrow. And the king will reign. So may we surrender to the king of righteousness who will one day put away wickedness and vileness forever. I invite you, if you have not invited, I hate to use that terminology, Lord, if you have not repented of your sins and come to Christ in faith, I invite you to come and do that today. I invite you to do that in your heart. I invite you to make that public today after we pray. We're about to take the Lord's Supper together. I invite you to respond in faith to the call of Christ. Father, may you indeed bless America with repentance, if that be your will. We do pray, Lord, that you might guard us from confusing patriotism with discipleship. Help us be proud of our country, proud of being Americans. But as we do, help us to remember that you're the king. And help us to live and work for the betterment of our country. One soul at a time. I pray that you might work in each heart. 
that you might by your spirit compel us to surrender to you, that we might walk in your ways, that we might live for your glory. Forgive us for our sins, of our sins. And by your grace, cause us to walk in righteousness. We ask this in Jesus' name, the one who was raised for our life and liberty. Amen.